seated. Good morning and happy Mother's Day to all the ladies out there. Today is a day to recognize the contributions of the godly women in our lives. And I want to do that by asking you to turn to a passage that I've never preached before, but I've always wanted to. Proverbs 31. So take your Bible and turn to Proverbs 31. Now, some of you may be thinking, great, I get to come to church and get chided for 30 minutes and then walk away feeling guilty and hopelessly bound to a standard of absolute perfection. I've heard that a lot from women. In fact, I read an article yesterday or the day before about how women just don't really even like to read this passage very often because they've been taught or maybe they've interpreted it to be some heavenly standard of perfection, but it's not. So allow me to put your mind at ease, ladies. You will see by the end of the message that this message is not to chide you and to make you feel depressed at the end. It's to definitely praise you. Proverbs 31 is not intended to crush your spirits. It's intended to inform you and to instruct you, just like any other passage of Scripture. It's not meant to be used as a tool by anyone to make you feel like a failure. It's not meant to make you feel like a subpar wife or mother. However, for some of you, if this is the first time you've studied it or read it, The Holy Spirit may use it as an instrument to convict you and to change you so that you will become more like Christ. Even if you are not yet a mother, you still need Proverbs 31 this morning. And even you men, you're not off the hook this morning. You need to know Proverbs 31 too. And you'll see why. Ladies, you need it because before you can become a godly mother, you need to be a godly wife. And before you become a godly wife, you need to become a godly woman. That's key. So if that hasn't hooked you yet, let me repeat that. Before you become a godly mother... Being a godly wife comes first. But before you can become a godly wife, you need to be a godly woman. Does that make sense? The order is crucial. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's hear from the inspired word this morning on a very particular subject. Let's see the vivid portrait of a godly woman. Proverbs 31, verse 10. An excellent wife. Who can find? For her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She is like merchant ships. 
she brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and, her food, and, and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor and stretches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known at the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. This is God's word. When you look at this section of scripture, what you see is what God had desired the ultimate godly woman to be. This passage does not present a particular woman, but the ideal. This is the goal of a wife and a mother. In other words, what you have here is a wonderful picture or portrait of an excellent wife. What happens? What's the ramifications or what's the consequence when ladies attain the standard? It's very simple. The text says that they are rightfully praised. They deserve praise. Look at verses 28 to 31. Her children bless her. Her husband praises her. She shall be praised. Let her works praise her. That word praise, it's the Hebrew word hallel, which is the same word that's used in the phrase that you have, might have used ad nauseum. Praise the Lord. Have you ever shouted that phrase before? I know there are plenty of praise and worship songs that have that phrase in it. We sing it all the time. The scripture uses the same word in reference to God as to women. Now, we shouldn't praise our wives as we praise God. That would be idolatry. In the same way that we're commanded to love our neighbor, we're commanded to love our wives, but we are commanded to love God greater, right? 
But a godly woman is to be given honor, blessing, appreciation, gratitude, love, admiration, and esteem. So men, you have the responsibility to praise your wife. And this text tells us when we should do it. Ladies, this text tells you what to do so that you would garner that praise. Don't you ladies love to be praised? Well, if you like to receive praise, if you desire to receive praise, you must embody these virtues that we just read about. You must be trustworthy partners. You must be hard workers and excellent examples. Those are the three virtues that demand praise from men. So before we jump in and we we unpack these virtues, uh, we need to understand the context here. As you know, the book of Proverbs is classified as wisdom literature. And therefore, it must be interpreted as such. Wisdom literature is different from law. The book of Leviticus, for instance, is the book of law. It's about what the Jews couldn't and could do or had to do. You have history, which is Genesis, right? We learn what happened from all the way to creation until the end of the patriarchs. Then we have prophecy, like Ezekiel, a man who's sent into the sinful nation of Israel and, and pronounces future judgment and salvation. That's a prophecy. Of course, then we have New Testament narrative and epistles and then apocalyptic apocalyptic literature, namely Revelation. All of those things need to be considered when you jump into, parachute into a passage. Wisdom literature like Job, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Psalms, and Proverbs, they're, they're not meant to be universal commands and promises. Rather, they are intended to be generally accepted truths, principles, morals, which flow out of a right relationship with God. That's key. Proverbs only applies to you if you've been born again. If you've been justified by faith alone. If you have trusted in the work of Christ as payment for your sin. If you have done that and repented from your sin, then this is for you. If you apply these things without a saving relationship with God, all you're doing is becoming a better Pharisee. This is simply to remind you that that a key component of sound biblical interpretation, i.e. hermeneutics, is consideration for the genre. Because if you don't get to the genre, you can misinterpret it really easily. Proverbs was written exclusively, almost, by Solomon. Chapter 30 are the words of Agur, or Agur. And chapter 31, the words of Lemuel. Virtually all of the Proverbs are addressed to the young, the naive, the inexperienced, the stupid, Who need to learn to fear God? The fear of God is the beginning of what? Wisdom. Chapter 1. 
without the fear of God, there's no wisdom. And the infamous Proverbs 31 woman that I'm sure you've heard before, especially on Mother's Day, is no different. But here's what you might not have considered about Proverbs 31. This is important. You'll see, you'll see how this has a, more, uh, a much more broad application. These words are written by an unmarried man, a young king, who is passing down wisdom from his mama. Think about that for a minute. This mother is, is, is teaching her young son, who is sitting, sitting on a throne, how to live. Verses 1 to 9, it's all about, son, don't be sexually immoral, don't abuse alcohol, and serve people. She only spends nine verses on that. But then she turns the corner and spends 22 verses about what to look for in a wife. Isn't that interesting? She's passing on pearls of wisdom to her son. She tells him how to conduct himself. Then she has much more to say about how to pick a wife. So, I mean, that begs the question, how soon should we begin to train our daughters and our sons on how to find the right spouse as soon as possible? Every chance I get, I tell my daughter, you better find a husband that loves Jesus. Because if you don't find a husband that loves Jesus, life's going to be hard. So start as soon as possible. Do you see why men need to know this passage? So you can take this passage and teach it to your children. Verse 10. An excellent wife who can find. It's almost as if she's saying, there aren't that many out there. It's hard to find one. And when you do, her worth is far above jewels. Her worth is worth more to you than anything this world has to offer. This mother is saying this. The right life partner is a profound blessing. Not only for him but for generations to come. But the wrong wife, the unfaithful wife, the unbelieving wife, the less than excellent wife brings pain, ruin, loneliness, sadness, sorrow, humiliation, and disaster for the husband, the children, and all who know them. So an excellent wife, therefore, is better than all the money in the world. You've seen it, have you? People who are filthy rich. They got the CEO position. They have the big house. They have the fancy cars. They have all the money they know what to do with. But their marriage is in shambles. They're on their second or third or tenth wife. And behind closed doors, he 
she's miserable. So if you have an excellent wife, in a very true sense, you're richer than Bill Gates. You're richer than the richest man alive. An excellent wife is to be praised. What kind of women are excellent wives? Well, as we see here, there are three virtues. Let's look at these real quick. First, women who deserve praise are trustworthy partners. Verse 11, it says, the heart of her husband trusts in her. The heart of her husband trusts in her. Doesn't that seem basic? Like, duh. Why would a husband not trust his own wife? Well, you have to consider the historical context again. In the ancient Near East, it was common for marriages to be arranged. So this idea now in our generation where where you have years-long courtships, that's that's our Americanized, self-actualized culture. And here, there was not even a day courtship. What happened was you would have arranged marriages, and what happens when you have arranged marriages is is that these people are perfect strangers. So, So you wouldn't trust a perfect stranger with your ATM pin code, would you? You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't trust a perfect stranger with the passcode to your safe. So there's a lack of trust there. And this time, typically, a man would feel the need to lock up his valuables so that his stranger of a wife couldn't steal, mismanage, or squander them. Today, it would be like the husband bringing home his, his new wife and locking up his credit cards and refusing to disclose his bank account info to his wife because he doesn't trust her. Sadly, I've heard of instances where that's the case. But, but, a, but a man who has a godly wife, an excellent wife, possesses a deep level of trust in her. Trust. One commentator says that this kind of woman allows her husband to do his work, to go away, to be gone, to give himself to the career that God has called him to, to provide for the family. He can go away with absolute confidence in her integrity, in her discretion, in her discernment, and in her care of all his interests. Now, why does he trust her? After all, isn't trust earned, typically? Look at verse 12. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She has a track record of doing good. She simply is consumed with his best interest. Unconditionally. Look at the last phrase again. All the days of her life. Does that sound familiar, married people? Remember the vows you took? Till death do us part? That means that she's not, she's not consumed with his best interest on the good days. Based on how he makes her feel, she's, she's trustworthy all the time. She's trustworthy all the time. She demonstrates consistent and faithful stewardship. She's the kind of wife that says, honey, while you're off doing what you need to do, you can count on me. Not to overspend, not to lose what we've earned, not to squander our estate and unnecessary things. 
that kind of woman could be trusted. So ladies, does your husband trust you? Do you do him good? Or have you caused him to live in fear of bankruptcy? Is it evident that you're consumed with your own independence or agenda rather than his comfort and reputation and security? It didn't get me very far in this study to understand why Proverbs 31 is hated today. You know, it's one thing for believing women to kind of have an internal battle with this passage. Oh boy, but if I stood up in the public square and read this, I would not be very well liked, would I? Our hyper sensitive, our hyper uh, feministic culture does not want women to view themselves in this way. And I'm afraid that in many ways we've allowed that idea this repudiation of this awesome passage to be influenced. We've allowed ourselves to be influenced by that idea. That God's design is outdated and demeaning, obsolete. And if it's ever discussed, that a woman should be earning trust by managing the house's assets Wisely. There's pushback and rejection. You know what I'm talking about. But that's not the case for us, is it? It shouldn't be. Because the plain reading of Scripture is clear, isn't it? Women who deserve praise are the women that are trustworthy. Trustworthy. Secondly, a godly woman deserving of praise is hardworking. Look at verses 13 to 24. Now, we don't have time to go through this line by line, phrase by phrase, but one theme that's as clear as day is that this woman is a hard worker. I mean, her, her, her diligence is impressive, isn't it? She's anything but a lazy sluggard. She's definitely a person with admirable work ethic. But what's interesting here is not only what she does, which we'll briefly look at in a second here. Note, ladies and gentlemen... The manner in which she does her work. Look at verse 13. And works with her hands in delight. Circle that word. Highlight that word. Jot that word down. That is to say that she does her duties with joy. Joy. Can you believe that? She makes clothes. She cooks the food with joy. It's a blessing to do those things. It's a privilege. Now, I know that sometimes it seems like it. 
even even mature godly women I know that sometimes they I, I find them complaining about having to cook another meal. Do the dishes again. Another little laundry. But we we fight having joy in those daily mundane tasks because we're selfish. To cook for others, to clean for others, to serve others, that means we have less time for ourselves. But that's okay because that kind of work, that's God's work too. Do it with joy, delight. When I walk home and there's a pile of shoes at the door, instead of getting mad and chucking them outside the garage... I pray that the Lord always reminds me that those pile of shoes next to the door are reminded that I have three precious children. And they're alive and active. And how evil of it would me of it would me to be so angry and annoyed just because I have to pick up their shoes. How evil. So ladies and gentlemen, don't 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 lose the joy of basic domestic servitude. The Proverbs thirty one woman, she did it with delight. And you can too. Now look at these things she does with delight. She looks for wool and flax. That's those are just the materials for making clothes. She brings food. She rises. She gives food. She considers a field and buys it. So she's business savvy. She's no dumb person. She gets it. She plants a vineyard. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches her hand. She stretches out her hand to the distaff and and grasps the spindle. Those are just the tools for making clothes. She's generous. She extends her hand to the poor. She closes, she, she closes her family with scarlet. You know, the, 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 uh, the sentence of that is that, you know, scarlet's dark, right? And so, so, so dark clothing absorbs heat. So that's why in the winter she would, she would have her family wear scarlet so, so it could absorb the most heat. She makes coverings for herself, and that's not speaking of clothes. It's talking about, like, bedding, things to cover up furniture at the house. And look at verse 23. Now, this is extremely controversial. Her husband is known at the gates when he sits among the elders. Wow. Now, I'm going to get a little nerdy on you for a minute. If you ever study the structure of the way this is written, it's, it's written in such a way in a chiastic structure, which means that, that, that there's a center phrase, and it's symmetrical. So it, it kind of, it from, from the bottom to the top, it kind of travels inward. And when you get to the middle, there's the phrase. And that's supposed to be one of the main center points of the passage. You know what's in the center of that passage? Verse 23. So in a very significant sense, an excellent wife is concerned 
with her husband's good reputation. She makes linen garments and sells them. So, she's pretty busy, wouldn't you say? She's very busy. She's, she's a hard worker. I bet if she were, were to walk in here today, she'd be dirty, with no makeup on. Her hands would be calloused. But she would have a smile brighter than anybody in here. Now, now, okay, ladies, I'm going to back up a minute. Is this something that you're all supposed to do? Should you be doing all these things? Well, yes and no. No, since we don't live in the ancient Near East. We don't harvest crops. We utilize the convenience of going to Costco and Safeway. Amen, ladies? Jen, amen? Yeah, we all love Costco. We don't, we don't make our clothes. We, we go to the mall, right, Jen? Go to Nordstrom's maybe once in a while. Or, you know, if you can't afford to go to the mall, you go to the thrift store or Value Village or something. So, so the point isn't that you need to go home, ladies, and plant a garden and dust off your sewing machine. That's not the point. But he, he, here's where it does apply, and, he, and here's what you need to understand is that you should possess the same work ethic and the same motive for your work. If you want to be a godly woman who deserves praise, you must give evidence of working hard in the home for the advancement and security of the home with joy. I'll I'll repeat that. The point here in this passage, this section of the woman's work, is that to deserve praise, you must give evidence of working hard in the home for the advancement and security of the home with joy. So if you have a secular job, that's fine. There's no sin in that. That's not the point either. But just because we live in an age where we have more free time because we don't have to work hard for our food and we don't have to make clothes, it does not give you the excuse to shirk your primary duties and responsibilities in the home. Proverbs 31, ladies and gentlemen, functions in a very similar way and the job the primary job of homemaking did not become obsolete 50 years ago Titus 2 New Testament teaching Paul wanted women work at home, and to bear children. It's a timeless role. It's a wonderful role. It's an awesome role. 
And I would argue very strongly that the highest calling under the sun is to be a mother. 1 Timothy 2. Women shall be saved through childbearing. Now that does not mean, obviously, that she earns her salvation, but the greatest contribution that a woman can have in society is to raise godly children. So I feel very passionate about this. If you're a mom or a future mom, what you do is the most important thing in the world. Do not let the secular world demean you, belittle you, and make you feel inferior because you have the blessing of raising children at home. The women who fulfill this role with joy deserve the highest praise. In addition to what we see her doing in this passage, we clearly see the motive. This is important too. The motive that this woman has is the advancement and contribution to the family. She doesn't work to enhance her own lifestyle. She doesn't seek something for herself. She's not trying to elevate her sense of self-worth. She is motivated by sheer goodness. It's good to provide clothes for your family. It's good to provide food for your family. It's good to serve your husband and children. That's why she does it. So be careful that we do not develop the secular attitude that the goal should be working for financial independence, our own worldly sense of purpose in the career field. The Proverbs 31 woman is deserving of praise because she works hard at home, for the home, as motivated by her family's need. Thirdly, a godly woman deserving of praise is, a, is an excellent example. Lastly, look at verse 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing. Strength and dignity, that describes her character that's rooted in her walk with God. She is consistent, she's strong, level-headed. She doesn't fall into temptation, she doesn't waver, she isn't up and down. She doesn't do what's right sometimes and do what's wrong sometimes. She's strong, not because she is ferociously independent, like Rosie the Riveter. She's strong, listen, because she depends on the Lord. We know she is because we read down in verse 28 that she is a God-fearing lady. And here's probably one of my favorite phrases here in this whole passage. Look at that. Look at the next one. And she smiles at the future. She smiles at the future, meaning that she doesn't worry. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but ladies, how how many of you struggle with anxiousness? I I, I don't mean this 
to be mean, but in my experience as a chaplain, as a pastor, and just a dude, the women in my family, the women I counsel, they are the most anxious people I've ever met. I don't know what it is. In my observation, it seems, it seems that, that women tend to struggle with this a little bit more than men. Maybe it's different in your experience, but I don't think the Holy Spirit put this phrase here for us to gloss over. Anxiousness is a serious sin because it is a symptom of unbelief. A deep distrust and faith in God. Lack of faith in God. And you want to know something else about anxiousness? It's, it's an objective barometer of your spiritual health and character. So if you're somebody that worries a lot, then it's, it's, it's an indication of your spiritual um, health. And so the opposite is true then. This, this Proverbs 31 woman can look into the future, the uncertain future, with peace and have no fear. Did you guys get that? The Proverbs 31 woman, the godly woman, the excellent wife, she can look into the uncertain future with peace and have no fear over, you name it. Okay? You know, this is another thing that has plagued my family. How anxiousness leads to a, a, a paralyzing fear. I get different angles from different people in my family, but before I was born, my, my dad's brother died. His name was Jerry. I think he died in the 70s. And uh, some people say he killed himself. Some people say that it was an accident. His car was found, smashed to bits, close to a railroad crossing. So he got hit by a train. And he was young, in his 20s, as you can imagine, it really shook my family. My dad told me, he doesn't talk about it much, but my dad told me that his mom, who had four boys, never got over it. She was never the same. And the reason why it affected the whole family till the day she died was because she was constantly anxious. And that anxiousness led to fear of the future. So if 
we cannot smile into the future and be relatively worry-free. I mean, all of us worry a little bit. But if you worry to the point where it affects your entire being and, and, and it affects everyone else around you, then there's faith lacking. And perhaps it's because there's knowledge lacking. Knowing that God is good and sovereign should be the antidote to worry. So, I hope that if, if something happens to somebody in my family, would I still be like this example and still smile to the future? This godly woman in Proverbs 31, she's not a worrier. She doesn't fear the death of her children. She doesn't fear her husband dying or leaving her. She doesn't fear anything. She's an example of strength and dignity and faith. In verse 26, we see she's also a skilled teacher. She opens up her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. That is to say, she knows how to rightly apply biblical truth. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is simply knowledge rightly applied. And she passes on this wisdom to her children. She brings the right balance between what a father teaches and what a mother teaches. You know, it's normal and it's right for the dad to be the one who teaches theology. Masculinity. A trade, a skill. Teaching boys how to be men. I think that's kind of lacking today, isn't it? And then women tend to bring the kindness, the mercy, the graciousness, the gentleness and compassion. That's why a little child, a little boy, a little girl, they, they, they crave their, their mom's touch. They crave their mom's hug. When they're hurt, when they're crying, when they're sad, most children go to mommy first. And that's innate. That's, that's something unique that women have. Just just a, a natural motherly instinct. Quickly in verse 27, it says that she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Basically, this is just reasserting and... Uh, restating the fact that this godly wife and mother is not lazy. And she does not fail to complete her domestic duties. So that's about as deep as we're going to go this morning. Could go much deeper. Could spend much more time discussing this and meditating on this. And I hope you will after today. I hope this has sort of provoked your thinking with regard to what a portrait of a godly woman looks like. Today is a day when we stop and say thank you to the moms, to the godly wives. And we should. I'm happy that we have Mother's Day.
every year. Because I'm reminded that it's biblical to praise the wives out there, the mothers. Especially when they embody these three virtues revealed in Proverbs 31. Women who rightly deserve praise are trustworthy, they're hard workers, and are excellent examples. So men, have you praised your wife today? If you haven't, go home and do it. Support her. Enable her to be trustworthy. Enable her to be a hard worker. Enable her to be an excellent example. And when she does it, praise her. Let's pray.